Amen. Good morning to you. You have your Bibles this morning, and of course, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn me to the book of Proverbs. We're going to shift gears a little bit this morning. If you are um, been with us for a while, as you know, and maybe you're, if you're a visitor, you do not know, we systematically go through books of the Bible, and uh, these past uh, probably month or so, we have gone through, taken a little break as we finished. What book did we just finish? Colossians, okay, it's been a minute. We finished Colossians uh, recently, and we are about to start the book of Ezra next week, as Evan said earlier, and there are some uh, journals in the back, and then we've spent uh, the past four weeks in the book of Psalms, and then this morning we're going to turn our attention to uh, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. Proverbs is a, uh, I'm not going to say difficult, it's just different uh, to preach through. It is a different genre than, than we're used to. It is a genre of ancient wisdom, and there's uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are both in the same uh, genre of, uh, of books, and so they, uh, they read a little bit differently, thus they preach a little bit differently, and that is the challenge before us this morning, but it is a wonderful book of wisdom, uh, this book of Proverbs. Uh, written by various authors, most commonly attributed to Solomon, King Solomon, son of David, of course. And as we'll see this morning, uh, this psalm begins as one speaking to his son. Uh, Proverbs, especially for us today, can be and should be very refreshing. We live in a time of information overload, do we not? And just honestly, not just of information overload, of meaningless information overload, of uh, pointless opinions. And yes, I'm sure to a degree all of us have contributed to the wealth of pointless opinions on the internet. But it is refreshing to be able to go to a book like Proverbs and have good truth, good wisdom, even uh, small nuggets of wisdom. You can read through a proverb and just hang there for quite a while. There's just so much uh, wealth, so much information, so much knowledge, so much wisdom, if you will, to be found in these chapters in the book of Proverbs. And so it is a book that you can turn and you can feast on meaningful, deep, and practical truths, as we will see this morning. Likely you have heard the phrase, even from me and many uh, of us uh, here uh, who preach, that Proverbs are not to be seen as promises. Uh, sometimes as we read through Proverbs, we see some things and we, we interpret those as promises and we kind of hang on to them, but Proverbs are not necessarily meant to be promises. Uh, and this is definitely true. Not all Proverbs are promises. You can go to Proverbs 16.3. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. I wish there were a promise, right? That whatever you wanted to do and set out to do, as long as you commit it to the Lord, it would succeed. Therefore, we would always say, whatever our plans were, Lord, I'm committing this to you. We go do it, expecting that it would succeed. And we know that is not necessarily a promise because we know that we have had many well-intentioned plans in our life that the Lord had other plans for. Proverbs 22, 6, one that uh, is probably most known for this. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, not necessarily a promise as ex to exactly how our children will turn out. But instead, these are more principles or premises, if you will, than they are promises. And so 
not all proverbs are promises promises but we should be careful that we don't discount the proverbs uh, because there are many promises in proverbs there are promises uh, some of them need the right context like a lot of scripture that we know uh, some of them as we'll see this morning are promises to be fulfilled uh, in the future ultimately through christ and so if we, if we have this mindset that there are no promises to be found in Proverbs, I believe that we'll come to this beautiful book in a very dismal way. And that is not uh, what God has intended. So indeed, Proverbs is full of wonderful truth found in both principles and promises. We can throw premises in there as well, as Adam were talking about earlier. And you could even say probability. So therefore, you could say that Proverbs is full of wonderful truths found in principles, premises, probabilities, and promises. How's that for a mouthful as we get started this morning? So uh, with that in mind, go with me to Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to read the first uh, eight verses. So Proverbs 3. Starting in verse 1 says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let's pray. Lord, we do uh, come to you this morning, and we come to the book of Proverbs. We come to Proverbs 3 this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful book of wisdom. And Lord, although we could call it ancient wisdom, Lord, it is modern wisdom. Lord, it is good for today as it was for those to its original readers. And so thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. I pray that you lead us and guide us this morning, ultimately by your Holy Spirit. Protect me from error this morning. And may Christ be exalted. In his name we do pray. Amen. So this morning, as we come to these first eight verses, uh, really these first 12 verses uh, kind of serve, have a, have a similar vein, if you will. Uh, these verses um, are speaking to the covenant relationship between the Lord and his people. Uh, they speak of the covenant relationship that God has with Israel. And so we see this as we read verses 1 through 12, but we're going to specifically zone in on the first eight verses. But as we, as we see this covenant language, one thing that's very interesting is they come in pairs of verses. And so every odd verse in our English translations here, most English translations, every odd verse is something that the listener is, has responsibility for, something they're called to do in this covenant relationship. Because in a covenant relationship, both parties have something to do. In a covenant relationship, uh, both have obligations one to another. And then every even verse we'll see is what the Lord does in this relationship. And so as we'll see in Proverbs 3, as, we, as ultimately it's looking at trusting in the Lord, uh, we're going to see it in this context of this covenant relationship that God has with him and Israel. And ultimately we'll see it fulfilled in Christ between God and all of those who have faith in the Lord. 
In our text this morning, uh, we're going to see some time-tested principles, if you will, uh, that point towards eternal promises. And there's four that we want to look at. So for the sake of uh, having four points, let's get moving. The first of which is this. So we're going to see that we are to keep God's commands. And keeping God's commands leads to a life of peace. Keeping God's commands leads to a life of peace. Now, if you were kind of following along as I read that, honestly, uh, Proverbs 3, 1 through 12 can be seen almost as a prosperity passage or a prosperity proverb, if you will. Now, we know as those uh, who go through Scripture and as we know as we, as, as we study Scripture and seek to, to ultimately see Christ in Scripture, we know the prosperity gospel will never be found in the pages of God's Word because God's, God's plan is not that we necessarily prosper in this life. Now, there are times that we prosper, times that, uh, that things go well. Ultimately, all things we know work for the good of God's people and, the, and His glory. But as you look at this passage from a surface level, it looks almost like prosperity. Even at this first point, as we're going to see in the first couple of verses, that keeping God's commands leads to a life of peace. Don't we all want a life of peace? Isn't that kind of part of the American dream to have peace and tranquility and have no troubles? We're going to see that keeping God's commands leads to a life of peace. So you go to those first couple of verses where Solomon starts out, My son, do not forget my teaching. And so there's the part on Solomon's part, or on that, uh, on the, that side of the covenant relationship. Do not forget my teaching, and let, or but let your heart keep my commandments. So don't forget and keep. So don't forget my teaching. Keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let's understand this language a little bit. When he starts off this proverb saying, do not forget. This is common language in the Old Testament uh, writings. It is a common warning that God gives to Israel. That Israel is prone to forget. And we know this as we go through the Old Testament. That they are to be following the Lord and looking to Him only. And they do so really well for a while. And then they forget the Lord. And they forget His ways. And they forget His laws. But so there's this constant command in the Old Testament not to forget and to remember. And so this is a call that has been often to the readers and the listeners of uh, this original proverb. Do not forget my teaching, the teaching of the Father. And so we know that, that Solomon is speaking to one of his sons here, but ultimately this is the Lord speaking to us today that we are not to forget his teaching. The call here is to bring God's word and the teaching of Solomon to the front of mind. To think on it. To dwell on it. Because if we don't, we do forget. If we don't think on the things of the Lord, if we don't think on the word of God, if it's not something that we, that we read and meditate on, then it's something that we easily forget. And so right in the beginning of this proverb, we see this reminder to not forget the word of the Lord. Not to forget the teachings of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, let your heart keep my commandments. Let your heart keep my commandments. In the Bible, this is, when we talk about the heart, and we say this often, the heart is not necessarily the seat of emotions as it is today. Whenever we talk about the heart, it means something a little bit different in the biblical context. In the biblical context, the heart is not the seat of emotions. Instead, it represents the innermost being of a person. 
and represents the innermost being of a person. It's often used in the Bible to refer to the center of their moral, spiritual, and intellectual life. So when it says that, uh, when he says to, to, uh, to let your heart keep my commandments, he's saying let all of who you are, son, let your whole being. Now we're going to see this phrase heart, this word heart, show up at least three times in our passage this morning. So it's something we'll come back to. But he's saying this is not just, don't just, don't just love God's word, but to, to obey God's word, to consume God's word, to live according to God's word. Let it affect every aspect of who you are, my son. Keep it. And this word keep is not simply just to obey, but it means more here than just to do it. It means to obey, to protect, and to guard his commands. So we see from the beginning that Solomon is is making it very clear how important it is to know the word of God, to remember the word of God, to have it into your heart, your mind, your very soul, to keep these commandments. Because this is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. To know God's word, this is biblical and true wisdom. So Solomon is saying, with everything that you are, remember, obey, and guard my commands, which are the commandments of God. And he says, if you do this, then something will happen. If you do this, you will have length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now, I love this word peace, and it's a, it's a great word study, one that we could spend a lot of time on, but it means it comes from the word shalom, which is not just, you know, peace, not just happiness, but it is this, uh, this overall profound wholeness for someone to pursue the shalom of God, for someone to pursue the peace of God, or to be to pursue the wholeness of all that God offers for His children. And so he's saying that if you, if you do these things, if you remember his teaching and you keep his commands, then you'll have this fullness of years and you'll have this wholeness of life that will be added unto you. And the principle here is that if you keep God's commands, you will have a long and full life. And this is often true. This is often true, obviously not always true. And we can see even in Proverbs where it speaks of uh, the, the glory of gray hair and then it being founded in righteousness. Now, we also know there are many people who have gray hair who are not righteous. Now, there are many people who, who live uh, long days who are not following the Lord. And we also know that ultimately we cannot keep the Lord's commands perfectly. We cannot keep them perfectly as in a, such a way that would give us the wholeness of God. The problem is we cannot keep God's commands on our own. Go with me real quick to Matthew, Matthew chapter 19. And many of us are familiar with this passage. When we think about keeping the commands of the Lord and what that looks like and our inability to do it. But when you look at Matthew chapter 19... Starting in verse 16, Behold, a man came to him saying, Teacher, that what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And so you see this picture. If you want long days, if you want length of years, if you want fullness, and this, this young man is looking for eternal life, and Jesus says, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, then keep his commandments. And he said, Which ones? He says, you should, not, you should not murder, commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, All these I have kept. 
what do I lack? And Jesus said, if you'd be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And the young man heard this and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And we see that there is this, even this young man that we see in Matthew who lived according to the law in every aspect still was not able to perfectly live according to the law. And there's only one who is able and who has done that. And that person is Christ. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just a couple of verses at the end of 1 Corinthians 1, in verse 30 and 31. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And we see this all through Scripture. We see it in Ephesians, we see it in Corinthians, we see it in so many places, this, this truth that our righteousness does not come from our ability to keep the law, but it comes from Christ's ability to keep the law and to keep all the commandments of God. It is His righteousness that we receive, that is imputed to us. And so, as we think about keeping the commands of God that leads to a life of peace, it does, but if we, if we base it on ourselves, we will have no peace. We will only have judgment and condemnation. Because like the young ruler, we cannot keep these commands. And so this promise principle is, there's a principle that's true, right? As we live out the commands of the Lord, it does bring peacefulness. It does bring wholesomeness in our life. It does oftentimes bring length of days. But ultimately, this promise is fulfilled in that Christ is the one who lives this perfectly and who offers us not just length of days and years of life, offers us eternal life. Eternal life to the fullest the promise pointed to is that christ that in christ we will find our righteousness and that through him we will have eternal life with everlasting peace and wholeness so keeping god's commands leads to a life of peace secondly the second principle we see is that loving the lord leads to a life of favor loving the lord leads to a life of favor starting in verse 3 let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So that's the obligation of one side. And here's the other. So you will find favor and good success or good reputation, as some translations say, in the sight of God and man. So let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Do not forget the, the steadfast love and faithfulness. And that is a phrase we see in God's word that points us to the love and faithfulness of God. They are key aspects of this covenant relationship. This covenant relationship that God has with Israel, that he has with his people, that he has ultimately with true Israel, is that of steadfast love and faithfulness to his people. And both sides in this covenant relationship are deeply committed to one another. That is the whole point of a covenant relationship. It expresses the, the depth of the commitment that both sides have to one another. It is demonstrated how they love one another and how faithful they are to one another in a covenant relationship. And so as we read, um, as we read chapter 3 here, I imagine Solomon meant both sides of this relationship. We read verse 3 when he says, Let not 
when he let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. So don't forget about the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Don't let that escape you. And also, you don't forsake your steadfast love and faithfulness for the God Almighty. Don't forget about how God loves you and is committed to you. Don't abandon your love and commitment to the Lord. This is a reminder of this covenant relationship. It also reminds us of what we see in what we call the Shema. Go over a few books to your left to Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these original, this original audience, there's no way they could not think about the Shema. Maybe the thing that was foremost on their mind at the heart of being in this covenant relationship with the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind. And these words that I command you today, they should be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk about them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so it's this reminder of the love that God has for his people and the love that God's people has for the Lord. And it should be so very present with us in this covenant relationship that we have. And the principle is that if we love the Lord, then we will find favor and success or even good reputation. And this is oftentimes true, that if we love the Lord and if we follow the ways of the Lord and if we're faithful to the Lord, because ultimately Jesus says the greatest commandment is this, is that you love God and you love people. And those things go hand in hand. So when you love God, you love people. We see in the word that says if you hate your brother, you really don't love God. And so if we are people who are, are loving God, we are loving people, and there is favor that will be found in our life. Does that mean everybody's going to like you? I found that not to be true in life. But there is this principle. If we love the Lord, we will find favor and success. It's oftentimes true. But it is not a direct promise in and of itself. Because we know that as believers... That we're not always going to find favor. We're not always going to find good success. We're not always going to have find good reputation. In the sight of the Lord, yes, but in the sight of man, maybe not. But there is this correlation between being in a right relationship with God and being in a right relationship with others. But the problem is this, is that we cannot keep our side of this covenant relationship. Go with me to Jeremiah. Just kind of fumble through the Old Testament there towards the second half of it, and you'll find Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31. If you don't have Jeremiah 31 highlighted, it's a uh, beautiful passage as it introduces to us very specifically uh, the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, 31, and this is we talk about a covenant relationship. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. It was not the Lord who broke his covenant. It was the people who broke the covenant. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts as we go back to Proverbs 3. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will, and I will remember their sin no more. And this beautiful new covenant is what Jesus inaugurates in the, in the, in the New Testament on the cross. So we celebrate every single uh, Sunday here at North Hills. But it is this picture that we cannot keep this covenant relationship. We have broken it, not just as a people, but as individuals. We sin against the Holy God. We break this covenant relationship. So we have a problem. We cannot keep our side of the covenant. And so this promise that we see ultimately is fulfilled. And the promise is pointed out in the new covenant. One that Christ brings when he comes. And how much more favor and success can be had than by being brought into a right relationship with God by God. So loving the Lord leads to a life of favor. Thirdly is this, trusting in the Lord leads to a life of direction. Wouldn't we all love direction in our life? Do any of you ever feel directionless? Do you ever feel like I am in my navigation, directionally challenged? I tell folks that often, told some of that last week. Don't follow me anywhere we go on a road trip. I will lose you, and I have no qualms saying that. We all need direction. We want direction. We have to have direction in our life. And we're going to see how the Lord sets our direction. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And this is what he will do. He will make straight your paths. He will set you on the path. He will bring direction to your life. So trusting in the Lord leads to a life of direction. Some have said that this passage, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, is uh, one of the most well-known passages in all of Proverbs. And it's definitely one of the themes of the book of Proverbs, trusting in the Lord, looking to His wisdom and not our own wisdom, is a theme of so many of the Proverbs found in this great book. But again, we see here heart says, trust in the Lord with what? All of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. So trust the Lord with your innermost being. Trust the Lord with the very fiber of who you are. With everything about you and your moral, spiritual, intellectual capacity. This is how we trust the Lord. You say, oh, well, I just thought I'd just had to trust Him and make decisions and hope they worked out. That is not trusting the Lord, to trust the Lord with all of your heart and to not lean on your own understanding is to completely abandon your wisdom, to abandon your way, to abandon what you think is best, to abandon even potential dangers you may see in your life, but to trust the Lord, looking to His wisdom and not our own. But what does this look like in our life? What does it look like to trust the Lord in that way? Briefly, three keys to trust in the Lord. Firstly, believe that He is able to do so. Believe that He is able to do so. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says this, Now to Him who is able to do not just something, 
but able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. So what is God able to do? More than you can imagine. Excessively, exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask or think, according to the power that is at work in us. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So in trusting the Lord, we have to believe that He is able that he is able to do what he says he can do. Secondly, we need to believe that he desires to do so. Okay, he's able to do so, but does he want to? Does he even want to work in my life in such a way that I should trust him? Absolutely. Go with me to Isaiah. Go back to Jeremiah and turn one book to the left. Isaiah chapter 61. First few verses. Speaks of just how much the Lord loves us and draws near to us if you see yourself as the brokenhearted. Isaiah 61, 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. The Lord loves the downtrodden. He loves the brokenhearted. And he's always at work for our good. And then check out verse 3. To grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. So the why of God, does He desire to do so? Yes, because God always does everything for the same desire, for our good and His glory. So, God, so we have to believe that He's able and believe that He desires to do. And then lastly, maybe this is the more difficult one. Maybe we got that. Maybe say, Lord, preacher, I know that he's able. I know that he loves me. But then thirdly, we have to rest in whatever he does. We have to rest in whatever he does. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verse 25. This promise of our Lord Christ. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So just a nod there to the wisdom of the world amounts to nothing. And they were looking to, to those who have faith as little children, who trust in him. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we can go to Hebrews chapter 4 and see that Jesus is our rest. 
So not only is he able to do so and he desired to do so, but he will do so. And we must rest in that. We must come to him and relinquish the worry of our life. Because ultimately, the opposite of trusting is worry. We worry, we doubt. Can he, will he, does he want to? Yes. So we rest in whatever he does. Because we know that whatever comes about is ultimately the Lord's will. And we trust that. We trust in his sovereignty. We trust in his providence. I said, well, you don't know what's happened in my life. You don't know what's happening in my life. You don't know the pain that I've gone through. You don't know the struggles that I have. Jesus does. And he says, bring it to me and rest in me. Does that mean we're going to stop worrying? No, we're going to worry. But as we worry, as we doubt, as we are full of, of anxiousness, we need to remember this, that we can trust in the Lord with every fiber of our being, that we don't have to lean on our own understanding, that we acknowledge Him in all of His ways, and that He will make our path straight. The principle is that the trust the Lord, and you will go in the right direction. And ultimately, this is true. If you trust in the Lord, you will go in the right direction. But the problem is sometimes we misstep. The Lord's never going to lead us in the wrong direction. If you trust the Lord and you look to His wisdom and to His word and not your own, and you acknowledge Him as you go, then yes, you will have clear direction in life. But the problem is we still get lost and we lose our way. We worry, we doubt, we fear, we don't believe. But ultimately, the promise is fulfilled in this. The promise is fulfilled in John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way. So he's not just going to, he's not going to set us on a path that's outside of him. He's going to set us on a path that is him. He is the way. He is our direction. He is our straight path. It's Christ. So trusting the Lord leads to a life of direction. And finally, the fourth principle we see this morning is that fearing the Lord leads to a life of wellness. Fearing the Lord leads to a life of wellness. So good, that sounds great. I mean, let me dial into this. I, will, I need some wellness in my life. I need some physical wellness. I need some mental wellness. I need some emotional wellness. I need some spiritual wellness. Fearing the Lord leads to a life of wellness. You see these last two verses in our text. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Doesn't that sound like wellness? Doesn't that sound like a good prescription? Healing to your, to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And the principle here is if you fear the Lord and you turn from evil, you will have a life of wellness. And this is true in a lot of cases. When you turn away from evil, we experience life how God intended. That's a pretty simple principle in life. If you want to pursue a life of sin, you're going to pursue a life of hurt and brokenness. And if we pursue God's word and God's will and pursue God's way, then we will find life as God intended. If you flee from covetousness, you will find contentment. If you flee from greed, you will find generosity. If you flee from hostility, you will find harmony. If you flee from lust, you will find love. Sin always leads to a life of brokenness and never wellness. It promises those things, but it never delivers. So yes, this principle is as we fear the Lord, as we flee sin, 
There is a life of wellness and wholeness and peace to be found. When we flee from sin and turn away from evil, we live as God intended. And that is refreshment to our bones, to our flesh, and to our very souls. Whenever we flee from sin. And as believers, we know that life, we know what that feels like. We know the pain of pursuing sin. And we know the joy of pursuing the Lord. But the problem that we have, the essential problem, is the, the, the essential problem we see in all of God's Word is the problem of sin, the problem of brokenness. Believers still know brokenness. The brokenness of our own sin, the brokenness of the sin of others, and even the brokenness of a fallen world that we live in. So therefore, we won't always experience wellness. That's why this is not a promise to be held, but it's a principle to be seen in Proverbs here. But the promise is this, that those who fear the Lord will know true healing and refreshment through the finished work of Jesus. Go with me to Isaiah 53 for a normally butchered verse of God's Word. And then see if you can do double duty here. At the same time, go to 1 Peter chapter 2. So now you've got three places to hold in your Bible. You've got Proverbs, Isaiah, and Peter. I believe in you. You can do it. Isaiah 3. Isaiah 53. I'm sorry. Let's just read the first few verses. First five or six verses. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not." Isaiah, of course, is looking to the Messiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." Or in some translations, by his stripes we were healed. And then flip on over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. So that is the intended plan of God. That is why Christ came that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This is not physical healing, as we see in Isaiah, as we see in 1 Peter, as some would love to claim. This is not a promise that you'll be physically healed by the, the, by the, the blood of Jesus. And it's blasphemous. And it's not the ultimate intent of Jesus. Because if that was the ultimate intent of Jesus, when we weren't healed, then Jesus failed. And my Lord has never failed. By his wounds you have been by his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. As we return 
to the Lord Jesus, the overseer of our souls. Then and only then will we experience true wellness. The healing that comes from His stripes, the wellness that comes from His wounds, is that of our eternal salvation. That He makes us right. That He takes a punishment that we cannot take for ourselves. He is broken in a way that we cannot be broken. He takes that on our behalf. And that is how we experience true wellness. Fearing the Lord leads to a life of wellness. Trusting in the Lord leads to a life of direction. Loving the Lord leads to a life of favor and keeping God's commands leads to a life of peace. So we see these principles in Proverbs and they are principles for our life that we should desire to pursue and seek out and walk in on a daily basis. But the ultimate hope is the promise that they point to that are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for